We are approaching the uh, 40 days in the historic church calendar known as Lent. That's what's going to begin uh, toward the end of February here. Um, Lent is these 40 days that we lead up to Good Friday and Easter Sunday when we mark the death and resurrection of Jesus. It begins on Ash Wednesday. That's February 22nd this year. And uh, I wonder, um, based on you know what you grew up with or didn't grow up with, if you're familiar with one of the famous ways to observe Lent, that is giving something up. Anybody ever given up something for Lent? Yeah? Okay, right? The classic one uh, that I heard growing up in Catholic Church was chocolate. You'd give up chocolate for uh, the 40 days of Lent, and then you would come back to it. Or perhaps um, many people would give up uh, meat on Fridays and only eat something like fish or or, uh, something vegetarian on Fridays. That's another classic way to observe Lent. It's sort of a little metaphor. Um, I I I mean, depending on your experience, it might have been like abused or taken advantage of and you just felt terrible about yourself, which certainly happens in churches. Um, uh, But the, the idea in its best form is a metaphor of this idea of dying to old ways to be raised to new ways with if you if you can give up chocolate for 40 days at maybe you when you come back to it, you feel like it has less of a hold on you. And there's something really beautiful to that. So jumping off of that, um, that that's kind of uh, familiar to a lot of people in, in American culture. Um, our new annual tradition, we can call it annual because this is the second year we're doing it. That's, that's, what, that, that's, that's how it goes, y'all. Once you've done it twice, it's annual. So it's our annual tradition. Um, well, this is our second time doing it. We are, we are going to give up something for Lent. But we, what we're doing is giving up popular beliefs that have proven unhelpful. That's what we're going to do for Lent. But we're not actually going to encourage you to go back to them afterward. Uh, instead, we would, uh, for Lent, we're going to be spending the six Sundays of Lent together, hopefully constructing some new beliefs in the place of beliefs that maybe haven't served us so much, um, new beliefs that might serve us better. Um, there are so many rooms in the house of belief in God, so many more than you think, especially if you grew up evangelical and everyone outside the room you weren't in, you were in wasn't just different, they were probably going to hell. <laughs> so there are more rooms in the house than you think, and that's what Lent is about. Uh, there, are, uh, there are beautiful traditions, rich traditions, beautiful scholarship and ideas and heroic examples behind lots of versions of belief in God, and we hope to highlight some of those, construct some of those beautiful pictures to help us leave behind, give up unhelpful pictures of belief that may not be serving us. Um, When we encourage this, like giving up beliefs, trying to construct new beliefs, we recognize that changing a belief isn't something you can just do to yourself. It's not just something you can be like, wow, that's great, flip the switch, and now I think differently. Especially with popular Christian beliefs, because they're so ingrained culturally in America, even more ingrained personally, if you are somebody who grew up in an American church, there are like all of these ties and holds that beliefs have on you. They're tied to like people who you grew up with, uh, maybe like parents or caregivers or pastors, authority figures. And so you can't just like change a belief because you decided you wanted to change a belief. To quote uh, the writer on spirituality, Father Richard Rohr, we cannot think ourselves into new ways of living. We can only live ourselves into new ways of thinking. 
We talked about this quote a great deal last year during Lent, and we're going to talk about it a great deal again this year during Lent. This is how it works. We cannot think ourselves into new ways of living. We can only live ourselves into new ways of thinking. It goes that way. Father Rohr often teaches the uh, passage I have here up on the screen from Jesus that is recorded in Matthew 7 in the Bible when, when he writes about this. Uh, the the, the uh, teaching from Jesus, he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise person who built their house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish person who built their house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. It is practice. It is the living of life, the actual doing of things that come first to shape who we are, what we believe, what is underneath all of our, all of our, our, our activities and our values and our hopes. It's actual doing things that will shift stuff for us. We can't just like think that we can flip a light switch and that all of our behavior will follow suit. So part of Haley's and my efforts for uh, the this Lent, as we as we look ahead, um, we're gonna we're gonna have six Sundays of Lent that start. Um, February 26th, I think, is the first Sunday of Lent. So we're looking ahead as, as, I'm, as I'm telling you. That's not what we're going to do today. Um, but uh, what we want to do is not just, um, not just unpacked, unpack beliefs that, uh, that we feel are quite popular but probably unhelpful, and I'll preview those in a moment. Uh, we're not just going to do that. Our goal, Haley and me, when we're bringing messages on Sunday mornings in Lent is to give practical experiments every Sunday, ways that you can try to live yourself into a new way of thinking. Try out a new belief by things you can actually do to see if it starts to fit a little bit better. See if life feels a little bit more consistent because you're, you're, you're doing things that, that maybe align with your values and you find your belief clicking into place in a way that it wasn't before when you had more unhelpful beliefs uh, uh, behind those things. So if you continue with these experiments that we're going to be recommending every Sunday, our hope is that you will find new beliefs kind of settling in. And, uh, and, and that, that will, my, my hope is that you can, you can even talk about those, you can, you can make sense of them in your own mind, and, uh, and, and I look forward to that. So le uh, let me preview the topics. We, we, wanted to, we did this last year uh, with the idea that like, we know that not everybody can be at church every Sunday, and uh, we would love for you to like, kind of mark, as, you're, as we're looking ahead, which of these feels like, oh yeah, I actually might feel like I want to be there for that one. Uh, mark your calendar, because we're, gonna, we're, we're going to mention these so that you know what's coming. On February 26th, the unhelpful belief we're going to look into is certainty saves. Mmm, right? Yeah. On March 5th, we're going to be looking at in-out mentality. Oh, your guests are supposed to be like, ooh, ah, right on each one. On March 12th, we're going to be talking about white bearded God up in the sky. Yeah, you guys are so good at this. On March 19th, we're going to be talking about the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Mm, yes, that was good. That was, I, I heard intrigue in that vocalization. It was good, very good. On March 26th, we will be talking about sinners in the hands of an angry God. 
But it's only part one, because on April 2nd, we'll be talking about sinners in the hands of an angry God. Part two. It's just, I just hear shock in your voice. Amazing. So uh, the, these, these are in many of us personally. I mean, that we, we, uh, Haley and I painstakingly went through these <laughs> to try and figure out, like, what, what are the ways to capture examples of unhelpful belief that, that might like grab, oh, 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 you know, like what, what, what are they? And, uh, but they're not just in us personally, these, these unhelpful beliefs. They're also atmospheric. Do you know what I mean? When we talk, often, often uh, we talk about uh, something like racism or patriarchy as atmospheric. It's not, a, it's not really an issue of whether you are a racist or not, or whether you are patriarchal or not. The issue is, it's all around us. It's everywhere. It's in the air we breathe. So we all sort of participate in those things. And the same goes for unhelpful beliefs about God and about faith. So even if you have a visceral reaction to any of those that we just you know, had on the screen, and you already feel like you have thoroughly rejected them, which would make sense because we, we identified these as like unhelpful beliefs. We want you to, to leave them behind. But even if you feel like you already have, there are still tentacles in you. There's still tentacles in me. There's still tentacles in all of us for these unhelpful beliefs because they're atmospheric. And perhaps that, you know, maybe, maybe one up there will surprise you in how much it speaks to you and feels like, ooh, there, there's work for me to do there or there's helpfulness for me to lean into that conversation. I also want to speak to those of us in our community who may not self-identify as a believer or you're not sure how you self-identify. It's really worth you engaging these as well because, again, these are atmospheric. They're not just whether or not they affect us. They affect us all, whether we want to admit it or not. And because... I don't know, who knows? Maybe through these experiments that we try throughout Lent, you will find yourself discovering there's a new conception of belief that you never even knew was an option. I wonder if that's the case for you. We'll see. So I'm looking forward to this. Uh, we wanted to make these two Sundays, uh, this Sunday and next Sunday, which are, uh, are uh, leading up to, we're not, we haven't begun Lent yet, but we wanted to prepare for Lent. That's why I'm talking about it already, readying everybody for this experiment. Um, in order to healthily do intentional unlearning, which is kind of what we're encouraging here, unlearning of assumptions, deconstructing of beliefs like we want to do, we need to foster compassion for ourselves, if we're going to do that. We need to foster compassion for those who formed who we used to be, because some of these beliefs maybe were a big part of us in the past. Healthy, mature unlearning or deconstructing doesn't burn down what was before. It looks back on our younger selves with love. I love who I used to be, even if I have differentiated and sometimes choose very different paths today or very different beliefs today. So the first big stretch of unlearning I experienced in my life was when I was about 20. And this was the first time in my life that I found myself in a circle of friends and wider community that was that was really quite focused on loving each other. I think we would have named that as something that we were about. It wasn't just having fun together, though there was certainly plenty of focus on that. And it wasn't just pairing up romantically, though there was certainly plenty of that. (laughs) 
there was really a genuine orientation toward like we are for each other's well-being. We 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 care about one another. Uh, that we care about one another's growth. That I could I could feel that. That that felt like a really adult thing when I turned 20. Something I'd I'd not experienced in middle school or high school. Certainly there was you know like. This was, this was a group of people that wasn't all about talking behind each other's backs. Um, this wasn't, uh, there, there was also like a, a mix of ages too even, where um, I was slightly younger and, and you know, like just turned 20 and there were other friends that were in their mid-20s. And so it's a, a slight mix of ages, that really matters when you're that age. That allowed me like, I even like, I felt like some of those friends like became pseudo mentors to me like they they kind of helped me figure out how to be how to be 20 and how to be in my 20s when uh when i had to unlearn a lot of things about what friendship and community were based on my middle school and high school experiences i remember sitting in the living room of my the first ever apartment i uh, i uh, lived in and feeling like so much warmth and love and like laughing hysterically as one friend is like recounting how he and another friend had gone from rivals to friends, you know? And, and that is like, so like you hear those stories and you know, they get embellished over the years. Like that's not really what happened, but now it's like taken on a life of its own. And so you sit there and you just, oh man, I just remember feeling so warm. So like, oh, this is great. Like, because there was clear love even as the story was being told and it, you know, it was exaggerated. This was the thing about this group of friends is that nearly everyone in this group of friends had grown up together. And so they had all of these shared stories that they would tell and we would laugh, except I didn't grow up with them. And they'd all grown up in this very specific church context, and I didn't grow up in that. So they had all these shared experiences from childhood, and they retold them, and they, and they relived them together, and everything was, was, was interpreted with all of this, like, spiritual religious meaning because they'd grown up in church together. It was so, it was so cool. That felt so important and significant to me. Something I had never experienced before having not grown up in that. And I just like, I, I loved it. But, but what was interesting is like, I, I didn't share a lot of those things. Now I was never made to feel like an outsider. These friends were awesome. Like I, they never like made it seem like, you know, and Vince doesn't know that because he wasn't there. But the trouble was I started to feel like I started to find myself trying to live vicariously through all of my friends' shared experiences and stories and their thoughts about life and their interpretations of those experiences rather than my own. Like the unique things of how I'd grown up, my history, my family, my thoughts on spirituality and religion kind of faded into the background because they, they just had such a strong network of stories. I, I couldn't my, my story wasn't being called out through no fault of theirs, but that, that, was, that was something that slowly caused some trouble for me. I remember early on in being folded into this, uh, this new group of friends, um, I, was, I, I had a uh, part-time job at Office Max, and I was facing merchandise. Anyone ever faced merchandise? It's the most soul-killing experience in retail. Do you know what facing merchandise? Like you take all the stuff in the back and you move it to the front so it looks like it's full. You're facing the merchandise. So I was just doing that. I have no idea uh, why this happened, but for some reason I felt like I had a spiritual epiphany. And when I, it was like something like, like, oh God, it's, it's, it's all connected. We are all connected to God, all people. I promise you I was not on drugs, but I, like, I have no idea why this happened while I was facing merchandise in Office Max. It was a totally earnest moment. 
And the next day, I go to my, my, this friend group that I'm telling you all about, and I'm telling them about this epiphany. And it, it didn't totally fit really well with the very specific Christian theology that this group had, which was, it, um, it, it was just more restrictive. Um, I don't want to be too down on it, but it was, just, it was more restrictive than what I was expressing of this idea of like, everything is connected. And so one friend received what I shared, and then like pretty profoundly changed it and offered it back to me. It's like a better vision um, and, you know, fit more appropriately with what, what he grew up in. And I remember this moment so vividly because I didn't fight him on it. Like I, I, had, the, I had what felt like a spiritual epiphany. I, it, was, it, was, it was like beautiful to me in the moment. And then later I'm telling a friend about it and I just let them change it. And I look back on that now, and I, like I wasn't mad in the moment, but I look back now and I'm like, boy, that was, that was my epiphany. I don't know, maybe I had something to offer there, and I just let it be shoved aside because it didn't fit the mold of what these friends offered. In that moment, I realized as I look back, in, in that season of life, I kind of wanted to forget about my life and my experiences and my ideas before this friend group. I just wanted to avoid it. I just wanted to pretend it wasn't a part of my story. There'd been a lot of pain and rejection in my growing up. From my older brother. From peers that I'd trusted as friends, and I don't know, the friendship was kind of weak. From just the social hierarchy of middle school and high school. Guys, I mean, it's hard, right? I know, I know that a lot of people can relate to that very, very meaningfully. And so there was little in my childhood that felt significant spiritually, that felt like special and warm, like I wanna go back to it in any deeper way. And so by living vicariously through these friends, their stories, their interpretations, they're like, you know, like look how meaningful life is. Look, look at the way God is injected into everything. I didn't have to revisit the pain and rejection I'd experienced. And I could just enjoy the love and the acceptance and the unlearning of dysfunctional friendships. That was really good. I could enjoy all of that, but not have to go back to what was before. The unlearning was so good for me, but the consequence of the way I was leaning into that unlearning was that massive pieces of all that had formed younger me were left unexplored, fading into the background, rather than being called out and integrated into this unlearning I was doing. I think it's fair to say that I was kind of fostering like a, like a very mild like self-hatred and an and, and avoidance of who I really am because I was embarrassed about it or because it didn't feel important enough. So it, it, it took several years, but eventually I started to break down that wall between my childhood and my young adulthood. It was finding some role models, people who had, had just as much love and spiritual meaning in their lives as this friend group that I attached to, but whose young experiences matched mine more similarly, and I saw how they didn't avoid their young experiences. The way they told their stories, all of that was included. It wasn't like their life began when they left that behind. That was really powerful to me, to see other people tell their stories in a different way. I think of, um, I think of these words from uh, St. Paul. 
that are recorded in the Bible from um, the famous reflection on love that we know as 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, the, the, is anybody familiar with that? You love is patient, love is kind. If you've been, been to a, a Christian wedding, likely you've heard this read. Um, and uh, I'm going to put it on the screen for us in a second here. Is At the end of the famous part, love is patient, love is kind, Paul is encouraging uh, love as the highest of all virtues because it's a taste of the eternal. It's a taste of like God's, uh, what in, in that day they believed God's age to come. The, the Jews believed that uh, Jesus called it the kingdom of God, or Paul would call it the age to come, when creation and God would live in perfect harmony. That's what people believed at the time. And Paul makes this offhanded comment uh, at the end of this, an offhanded sort of observation about life in this current reality where we don't always experience that God and creation are in perfect harmony. And it, to me, this little offhanded observation is one of the most enduring insights in the entire Bible. I love it. Uh, even though it's kind of an aside, it's kind of like a secondary point to what Paul is saying, but I'll put this up on the screen because I, I love this. He says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly. That's my favorite line. We see in a mirror dimly. Then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part. Then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. This life is always seeing in a mirror dimly. You can't, can't quite make it out. We only kind of can make it out. I, I've, I've heard this scripture taken out of context before to deliver like a scolding message, like, stop being so childish, grow up. <laughs> but I think actually Paul's point is just the opposite of scolding. He's saying, of course when you're a child, you act like a child, <laughs> right? Of course you only see in part until you can see in full. Of course. That's okay. It's normal. So let's be compassionate with ourselves in the necessary unlearnings of life. We will always see through a mirror dimly. That's what it means to be in this in-between time where we see sometimes God present to us in just powerful ways where we just cannot deny there is a God. But then often we don't see that. There isn't perfect harmony between God and creation and life right now. And so we always see through a mirror dimly and that's okay. It's okay. We, we're going to have to unlearn things because sometimes you, you get a little bit older, you get a little bit more seasoned, more mature, and you realize, oh, that thing that I could only kind of make out because the mirror is so hazy, now I see it better. Now I understand it better. That's okay. We can be kind to ourselves. So, I mean, I, I, I still struggle with normalizing this for myself today. I often default toward embarrassment when I think about my previous self, or I like, I tend to like present myself as like the things I believe now, like I have been enlightened since the beginning of time about those things. Never, never believe something different. This is always what I believe because I am so wise and smart and never had to learn anything, never had to unlearn anything. But that's just garbage, right? That's not true. Through role models, through therapy, through prayer experiences where I feel God love me, not scold me. I am learning to look back fondly on my previous self, my younger self, learning to look at my younger self and like, and I love my younger self. My younger self was great, even though I've had to unlearn a lot, I've had to change a lot of things. But my younger self is still awesome. I can still love that, that younger self.
I don't have to coldly reject or avoid who I was. I can integrate who I was into the more beautiful story I tell about myself now. Now, to be clear, this sometimes means constructing new beliefs or learnings that are fundamentally different than what we had before. When we integrate our younger self and love our younger self and include that in the story of what's going on, it does not always mean accepting or affirming what was before. Sometimes we have to reject. Sometimes we have to like, be totally opposed to what was before. It doesn't always mean accepting and affirming, but it does mean including. You see that difference? When we integrate our younger self and love our younger self in the story that we tell today as we unlearn, we include those parts of our stories. I was doing the best I could with what I had is a phrase that's felt really meaningful to me. I was doing the best I could with what I had. I can say that about my younger self. When we speak that way to ourselves, it is so different from avoiding the things we've had to unlearn for fear of embarrassment or pretending to have been enlightened all along. It's an experience of self-compassion. And when you are compassionate with yourself, when, when, you, when you do that with yourself, it expands your sense of self. You get larger in a good way. Now, I'm talking about how, as I look back, the disdain that I'm tempted toward is toward myself, right? That's, that's a lot of what I've explained here. Maybe as you look back, the disdain you are tempted toward is at others. Maybe. I feel a little bit of that too, possibly. Maybe you feel a lot of, like, you know, temptation toward you know, that, that visceral, like, avoid it at all costs or, 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 or uh, rage energy riling up in you be at people for hurting you or imparting beliefs to you that hurt you. Maybe it feels complicated because simultaneously those are people who are important to you that you still dearly love. That's complicated, right? Parents or grandparents, aunts, uncles, mentors, teachers, I, think, I, 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 want, I want us to feel like there's good news here in, that, in those complicated feelings. We can unlearn what they have imparted to us, the things that no longer serve us. We can unlearn those things and still love those people at the same time. That feels paradoxical. It feels impossible sometimes, but I think, it is, I think it's, it's possible. It's impossible to unlearn things that no longer serve us and still love the people who imparted those things to us at the same time. It's a flipping of that phrase that's been so meaningful to me. We say, they were doing the best they could with what they had. That's another way that when we speak that way to, to ourselves about our past, about the people in our past, they were doing the best they could with what they had. That expands our sense of self. It expands our ability to be compassionate. And that's a good thing for our souls. So, that's a bit of my story of unlearning, and I wonder what has been all of your experiences of unlearning. What has helped you do so maturely, as I'm talking about, with this, this way of compassion towards yourself and not that avoidance or embarrassment, um, which is the other way to do unlearning? What's helped you do that well? What's helped you do that maturely, where you've been able to look on your younger self and feel love? We would be so glad 
for you to share if, if you feel comfortable doing so um, in Discord, in our, in our live chat, whether this morning, if, if you're like, oh yeah, I have a story that comes to mind or an example, um, or if you want to do it later this week, like uh, our idea, we're, we're building toward a time where we're about to throw a bunch of logs on the fire of unlearning. <laughs> that's, what, that's, that's, that's our goal for Lent. Lots of unlearning. We're about to you know, thr thrust everybody into that. And we want as much inspiration as possible floating around for how to do that maturely. And so if you're willing to kind of add your story to my story today or this week or uh, next week, uh, Haley will be taking another angle at this idea of self-compassion uh, as we prepare for this experiment. Um, unlearning, it's happening already in the background for most of us, always. Like it's, it's just that the pace and the noise and the demands of modern life don't allow for us to put unlearning on the front burner but it's always happening. Often we have to be like, oh, overwhelmed, too much, you know, too many inputs, can't think about that right now, have uh, you know, work to do or homework to do or kids to take care of, put it on the back burner, right? It, but it's always happening. And unlearning can feel like an anxious project as a result of that, something we just don't have time for. And you know, a lot of people, I, I feel like there's this, there's this really, really, um, really admirable feeling of like, I don't have time for this and I don't want to half-ass it, so I'm going to keep putting it off because it wouldn't be right for me to only give it like part of my energy. And I just think that's such, that's so good. And maybe the gift that this church can offer over the next several weeks is we're going to give you space to do that so you don't have to like find that space yourself. That, that would be my hope because you're right. Like we don't want to just give part of ourselves to a project of unlearning. It's a lot and it can be overwhelming, but maybe doing this together for Lent can, can make that feel communal. It can make it feel achievable in a way that maybe it doesn't in normal life and it can make it feel like a practice of self-compassion. So again, I'll put this up on the screen one more time, what to expect. These are our Sunday talks coming up on giving up unhelpful beliefs. I hear all of the, oh, ooh, interesting. Yeah, 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 I hear it all from you. Um, put it on the calendar. If one of these in particular um, is, is grabbing you, uh, we will be offering experiments for living yourself into new ways of thinking about these things every week. And, uh, but wait, there's more because we do have, uh, we have a, a few other things that we want to um, uh, mention for how we can mark the season of Lent together. Um, uh, Lent and uh, the, the two like highest uh, times in the church calendar um, uh, over over the course of a year are Lent and Advent, which is just what we just exited as we build up toward Christmas. So it's building up toward Christmas in Advent and then building up toward Easter in uh, in Lent. And I've found in my own family, it's a it's a good time um, at, in, even even before I had a family, but just like living with roommates or friends, that it was a good time to like try to do more intentional things around meals. And so one thing that we've done in, for Advent in the past, and we're going to do for Lent this year, is uh, release Lent mealtime prayers for families or roommates or friends to do together. And so uh, we're going to release eight of these. Uh, one will be on Ash Wednesday, which is the first uh, day of Lent. And then each of the six Sundays of Lent will release one. And then on Good Friday, we'll release a, a mealtime prayer. And these are, these are simple readings and, and things you can do around a, a, a dinner table, uh, with friends or, or with kids or uh, that you can just kind of do to, to reflect together and mark this time together. So you can watch out for those. We'll release those uh, on email. We'll release those on Discord and on Instagram and uh, any way that you follow us, you can get them. Another thing um, that we're excited to um, uh, 
to get off the ground during Lent is uh, Haley uh, offered a vision of small groups a couple of weeks ago, and uh, and we we're we're, we're we, we have like a, a several I think small groups that are going to be beginning. So if you want to do something in the meantime, that will be probably related to what we're talking about on Sunday, but not exactly. Um, there'll be more opportunities to do that in smaller groups of people, and so um, I'll probably leave it at that because Haley will have more to say soon on that. But if you're looking for a chance to do to observe Lent in smaller groups with other people during the week, you'll have chances to do that. Uh, and then finally, the last thing that we're going to do, which is just going to be awesome, we're going to have, um, for the Sundays of Lent, Haley and Vince bingo cards. So, so what that means is um, uh, you, everybody will have uh, a card that, like, with, like, if if Haley or Vince does this, you can you can you can check your bingo card, and then if you if you are the first person to get bingo, uh, then you will get a uh, a certificate for a free movie to the Davis Theater. So watch out for your Haley and Vince bingo cards. <laughs> um, we hope that's fun. All right, um, Lent. I'm I think that this is going to be um, a beautiful marking of that tradition of dying to some things to be raised to something better. And, uh, and yeah, I already I'm looking forward to it, even though we're a couple weeks out. So we hope that you are as well. Let me pray for us this morning as I close. <clears throat> well, as I pray, you can, um, you can get yourself comfortable in your seat. If you want to close your eyes, you can do that. If you'd like to um, leave your eyes open. Sometimes I like to just like focus on a spot in the room that helps me feel not distracted. Whatever helps you to feel in a prayerful space, I'm going to pray for us. God, for any of us who, um, in this moment, right now, we have an image in our mind's eye of our younger selves. After the story that I shared, or I don't know, all that we're talking about with unlearning, if any of us have a picture in our mind's eye of our younger selves, we pray over ourselves, joining you, God, in these words, I was doing the best I could with what I had. You almost imagine yourself like, if you're, if you're imagining a scene in your mind's eye, like something that happened, or you know, you're seeing your younger self in a moment that maybe you're embarrassed about or just feels, I don't know, like, I, I wish I wasn't that, I'm glad I'm not that way anymore. Almost imagine like a spotlight shining down on yourself in your mind's eye, and maybe like you just like floating up a little bit. So like the, like you're, like you're, you're just being raised a bit, so the focus is on you. And pray those words over yourself. I was doing the best I could with what I had. In some way, if it, if it helps you to imagine the presence of God as that spotlight that is shining on you, God sees you as having done the best you could with what you had. And maybe for many of us, if we shift our attention, 
to somebody from our past, not ourselves, but somebody who we have complicated feelings about. Because we do love them, and they have been important to us. But they have imparted things to us that we either have already unlearned or we need to, and we're still not sure what to do with that. And we imagine them in the spotlight of your presence, God. And we pray over them these same words. They were doing the best they could with what they had. They were doing the best they could with what they had. And as we, God, continue now in the rest of our Sundays, in the rest of our weeks, would we feel as though self-compassion is close to us, love and fondness for our younger selves is close to us, because that is so difficult to keep true on our own? Would we feel your ever-present effort to keep self-compassion close to us, to lure us toward that, to hold it close to us, that there is a force outside of our own willpower holding us in self-compassion and self-love. It is not just up to us to do it to ourselves. Would we experience that as your help, your love, God? Would we feel deeply not alone this week? And this entire next couple of months as our community tries to unlearn maturely together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.